the last several weeks, we've talked about a passage in Scripture that's probably one of my favorites, but it's one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture because it, it deals with some really uh, deep, profound things. But it also is probably one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. That's Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans was something that Paul wrote to the Roman church as he was beginning to go there and to kind of give them a theology, an understanding of who God was and how he works in the world. And he'd said a lot of things up to Romans chapter 8 that kind of helped them to understand, beginning with Romans chapter 3, some things that we can have confidence in. But basically we've talked for the last several weeks about this passage of Scripture. Uh, and as we've looked at it, I hope it's challenged you to think about how we can have confidence in who God is and what he does for our lives. The very end of Romans chapter 8, though, in verses 38 and 39, it says this. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor debt, nor, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's kind of the consummation, the summation of this whole passage, this whole chapter of Scripture, that nothing can separate us from God. God wants us to have the confidence in him and his plan that we can feel that, that nothing can separate us from God. It's a fantastic concept that he, that he teaches to us here, that this huge God wants to have this intimate bond with someone, this someone like me, this foul up like me and you, who, uh, and he says in this great chapter again and again, I want to stay connected with you and you don't have to worry. But we don't always live life that way, do we? When we began this series... Uh, we had, at the very first week on Easter Sunday, um, we had a couple of crosses up here. Remember that? <clears throat> and a cross is on the stage. And I gave you uh, I gave you uh, inner bulletin, a piece of paper that looked like this, and it had some baggage on it. We've been talking about this destinations we've been going on that as we go through the book of Romans, or the chapter of Romans 8, there's all kind of destinations on this journey that helps us to have confidence in God. And so I ask you to do something. I ask you to, uh, that Sunday, some of you said it was very meaningful for you, to write down on this piece of paper that looks like a piece of luggage, I ask you to write down some things that, would, that you feel like you wanted to turn over to God, give to God that was hindering you in learning to trust or have confidence in God, the things that were stopping you in that. And so I actually took them all off the cross, and I've been reading those and praying over those for the last six weeks. Asking God, you know, what is it, you know, what is it, and help me to understand where people are. And, and the theme that kept coming back over and over and over as I read these, and none of these will give you an idea who anybody is because nobody wrote their names down. Uh, nobody uh, wrote a lot of descriptive things. But the things, the themes that kept coming back was how often people had guilt and fear. I mean, those words were all on 50% of the sheets out here. Uh, things like I've never, uh, this is the baggage that I've had, I'm never good enough. All my sins seem to separate myself, me, from God. I don't forgive. Uh, I'm busy in, busy in myself with too many things to make time for daily time with God is one of the things that causes me problems. Uh, fear, feelings of rejection by those close to me, lack of self-confidence, fear of change, fear of failure, past hurts, Fear, I heard this word a thousand times, fear and, and abandonment. This one was a little open. Husband cheated, now I can't afford to believe it can get better. Can't, get, can't trust anymore. Fear of what others might think of me. I pray, Father, that you would help me unashamedly to share my faith with other people. Um, not being a good person, this is somebody's baggage. Father, not being a good person, father, husband, lying to myself, to my wife, and to my family. 
Only looking out for myself instead of my family. This is the baggage that caused people not to trust God. Fear of not feeling like I am as spiritual as others around me. Feeling intimidated. Fear, worthiness, guilt. Um, doubt that, that God's word is true. Somebody was very honest there. The guilt of my sins, not sure of how many things, not sure of many things. Help me to be confident about my relationship with you, God. Please mold me. Uh, lack of trust, I'm self-sufficient. Lack of prayer, guilt, fear of being hurt. Fear, I mean, how many times i got to re- read these things? Over and over, the same themes came out over and over and over again as I read these things that so many of us have this baggage in our life, this guilt, this fear, this, this, all these things that hinder us from really being connected with God and having confidence in him. And that's what Romans chapter 8 over the last several weeks has been trying to help us to understand is that God wants us to not live in fear and guilt. He wants us to live a life a life where we can understand that we can be confident in him. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, we spent a weekend on this verse in Romans eight twenty eight. That that's probably a key verse for many of you. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We dealt with that thing that in the middle of calamity, the middle of disappointment, betrayal, terrible circumstances, so often we say, we say to God, you know, God, why did you let this happen to me? And we think that when something bad happens to us because of this fear, we feel that God is pushing himself away. He's not going to, he doesn't love us anymore. And we talked about how important it is to understand that God works in the midst of all things for those who love him, who've been called by him. And then last week we looked at a passage of scripture and the key verse was verse 31. It says this, if God is for us, and if God, you know, is God for us? Yes, it says if God is for us. No, he is for us. Who can be against us? That there's nothing, in a sense, that can, that can pull us away from God. Now, today, as we conclude this series, I want to key on one verse in particular out of the last four or five verses in, in Romans chapter 8. The verse I want to really focus upon today is this verse that it really kind of sums up this whole thing of what we've been talking about. In verse 37, it says this of Romans chapter 8, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What does that mean? Does it mean we go around with, you know, with a big T-shirt on and says, I'm Jesus and I'm proud or something? You know, is that what it means that we're more than conquerors? You know, kind of like this pride thing? Is that what it's talking about? Is, what's it talking about when it says that we're more than conquerors? It means this basically, and I'm going to expand upon this today. It means that through the power of Christ, we have the ability when you are in Christ to overcome some stuff that you couldn't overcome without his power in your life. You could overcome temptations that you couldn't before because of his love and his power, his spirit living within you. You could overcome the need for revenge when somebody does something to you you because uh, you have the power and the ability to look beyond that circumstance. You, You can overcome the need to trash talk about someone. We call it gossip. Because the power of Christ gives us the power to overcome that. I remember uh, a while back, I'm not going to say how long, but a while back I was talking to a lady who had had a really bad thing happen in her life many, many years ago. Probably seven, eight years ago. And, and she was talking to me and she was talking about how difficult this person is, uh, calls herself a Christian. I believe she is. But she was talking about 
uh, this whole thing that had happened to her years ago, and, and it was in a situation where I was sitting down with her, talking with her, and, and, and when she talked about this, I could still see that she was bitter and she was angry and she was just frustrated with this after years and years and years. And I said to her this because I said, because you're in Christ, you have resources that allow you to get over that. You need to overcome being stuck in that bitterness. And she looked at me and she said this. She said, I can't. And she said it with a little venom. I can't. Then I looked at her and I tried to say it in love. I said, I said this, you can, but you won't. Now, she didn't leave me very happy that day. But the reality is, is that's what Romans 8.37 says to us, that through the power of Christ, you really can conquer, you really can overcome, you really can get past, you really can get through, you really can get beyond some of the stuff you're not able to get through in and of yourself. Because God, living in God's spirit, in his power, allows you to do things that you cannot do in and of yourselves. Things that I can't do in and of myself. When I think about this, I'm thinking about, you know, through life sometimes you have these things that come up on you. You're going like, whoa. You know, it's overwhelming. And I think about a passage in the Old Testament, a story that's a favorite story of mine in the Old Testament over in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 that, that talks about a guy named Elisha and his, and his servant. And Elisha and his servant were walking to a town one day, and they didn't know what they were about to get into as they were going to this town. And, it, and they knew they were going to be, be ambushed and probably most certainly killed. And the text says in verses 15 through 17 of, of 2 Kings 6, it says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, talking about the servant of Elisha, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And the servant said, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? Is that a response when something, you know, big comes our way? Oh, no, what are we going to do? It's usually our response. It's all about us. But then Elisha looked at him and says this, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. But the servant didn't have a clue what he was talking about. It doesn't say that in Scripture. We just know that from reference. And then it says this. It says that Elisha prayed. He said, open his eyes, talking about the servant, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha, and he wasn't afraid anymore. What God wants us to teach us, one of the things he wants to teach us about being more than conquerors is this deal that you and I have a resource in our life that allows us to realize that we're not on our own. God's spirit is working in us. And I find myself in situations so often where, you know, I become afraid. I'll just be honest with you. And you probably find yourself in situations where you become afraid. And if we keep our eyes on ourselves, what will happen is we will remain afraid. But so often I remember this story in Scripture in the Old Testament of Elisha and, the, and his prophet, and I say, you know, God, open my eyes. I pray, open my eyes that I may understand and see your power in my life so that I will not be afraid anymore. And supernaturally sometimes, you know, the things don't always go away. But I realize that God has given me this ability, this power, not because of me, but because of him working in my life. He gives us this power, this ability to overcome I've become more than a conqueror. 
Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you. I thought about there's all kind of ways I could approach this passage this week, and I decided just to really be very, very, very applicable, very practical as we finish up this series. Hopefully, you, it'll be something you can grab a hold of and, and, and use every day. Last week, I kind of just went right through the Scripture passage, talked about it, laid out the things that God says. Here's all the things that you can be confident about, confident about. I mean, if you didn't get it last week that you could be confident in Christ, you probably missed it. Go back and listen to it again. Read the Scripture. Read Romans 8 up to this point to realize that God is saying to us over and over and over and over again that you can be confident in him. But what I want to talk to you about the next few moments in ways will be hard for some of you to hear because some of you have lived most of your Christian life in a a way I'm about to describe. And on a basis of this text in Romans 8, what I want to do is I want to call you out into something better than how you've lived. Because so many of us live this non-confident, this this, uh, this fearful Christian life. We live this kind of like, well, let me describe it. Let me the, throw the next slide up there. Okay. This, this kind of describes, this is a real simple process of describing how we are, the different places we are in Christ. Uh, the explorer is a person be, that doesn't know Christ yet. Sometimes we call them seekers. It's somebody who doesn't really know Christ yet, but they're exploring. They're kind of figuring out. And then you come to the place of the cross. That's where we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we begin a process a process in our life. And, and I just want to simply this morning describe it as three different places you can begin. You become, once you accept Christ, no matter what age you are, you're a beginner. If you're 15, if you're 25, if you're 50, if you're 70, if you're a new in Christ, you just accepted, you're a beginner in Christ, and you begin your walk with Christ. And then quickly following that, hopefully, you begin what's called the growing process. The growing process in your Christian life, you begin the process of growing, of, of becoming more and understanding more and hopefully applying more to your life. But then there's this, there's this process where God wants to take you eventually, which the Bible describes as Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Now, when you look at that little diagram up on the screen, the thing is it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of gap between those. They're kind of like a progression. But I want to tell you, in reality, I have found in life And this is why this problem of confidence comes along, and this is why I'm talking about it today. The reality in life is that lots of people, most people, begin the Christian life, and then what happens, they start growing. But then they don't get to this Christ-centered part of their life. Part of my stuff got cut off up there, didn't it? Oh, well, whatever, you know, the words. Okay, I had them right, okay? It's not my fault, it's the computer's fault. Okay, so the issue is, it, but, but the deal is there's really a huge, I found there's a huge gap between this growing part or this intermediate part of being a Christian and the Christ-centered part. There's a gap. And sadly that many, many people never get there because I found that how people respond to life who are Christians has everything to do, whether they're confident in life and whether they feel confident in God, has everything to do with where they are in regard to this process. There's this huge chasm between a growing Christian or an intermediate, I call them intermediate Christians, and someone who's truly Christ-centered. You see, growing Christians, often uh, persons who are intermediate, who have just you know, begun the process, began to grow, been growing maybe for a period of time, uh, so often they learn how to pray, and when they learn how to pray, they basically pray, God, will you bless my program? God, will you bless my program? 
Will you bless what I want to do? They go, oh, God, I've always wanted to be rich and famous. I've always wanted to get promoted. I've always wanted to have this woman or this man. So now uh, you are my friend and you are my source. And what I want you to do now is to bless what I want to do. And that's where we kind of get stuck. And when we have that mindset, it changes the way we perceive God. And that is as far as many Christ followers ever get until they understand that a Christ-centered person gives up their program. Because it says in Acts chapter 20, verses 24, it says this, I no longer count my life, and I'll put this in parentheses, my program, my agenda, as dear unto myself, only that I might finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to me. See, Christ-centeredness says, hey, it's not about me. It's not about God. Hey, God, bless me. Bless my program, my agenda, what I want to do. It's about us coming to the place of saying, God, I want to know what your agenda is, what your program is, and that's what Christ-centeredness is. That is ultimately the place that God wants us to be in the Christian walk. It's not, and it's not just, you know, you get there and you've arrived, but it's the process of getting to where God wants us to be. And based upon that, based on whether you're simply, simply growing in Christ or Christ-centered, will have everything to do with your confidence level in God with whether you really believe that God is for you, with whether you really act and live out the life of being a conqueror versus just somebody who is, a, who is, who is, somebody who has a, 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 is a victim. You see, being Christ-centered, part of that is learning what you need to do, how you need to live, and the spiritual practices and other things that I'm going to talk about in a moment. Part of what it takes to get on the new program is to, talk with, is to walk with God closely enough that as he reveals it to you, you begin to trust in him, his plan for your life, and you begin to see even the bad things begin part of what God's plan is for your life. And so, this verse we're going to look at today says that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Now, again, here's where this chasm exists, though. This chasm between a growing Christian and a Christ-centered follower. The folks who have moved beyond baby spirituality and have begun to grow, have growth under their belt, they're feeling closer to God, they're feeling closer to Christ, they're doing good. But when circumstances don't go their way for just people who are growing but not Christ-centered, they tend to fall into a pattern. I've watched this for three decades as a minister for over 30 years. As a minister and as a Christian, I've watched this pattern over and over and over again. Folks who are still on their program and still kind of hoping God will use his power to help them further their program, when something doesn't go right according to their program, these folks call fouls on God. Hold it, God. You're not really following my plan very well. I cannot really trust you. And they fall into self-pity. There's a downturn in the economy. Golly, has that ever happened before? Yeah. And something happens and somebody gets pressure on their mortgage and they might lose their home and they stand in line and they come to church and they look, come to, and they stand and talk to me somewhere and they, they're really, and they say something like, you know, I'm really disappointed in God. He's not being very faithful to me right now. And I go, really, what happened? Well, you know, I had this huge mortgage. And then I asked this question, should you have gotten a mortgage that big? And they'll say, well, let's not talk about that. 
Well, the economy went down, and now woe is me, and I'm in a bad situation. Where is God? I'm disappointed. And I have to be honest with you, when I hear that kind of stuff, and it's persons who are Christians, but they haven't gotten to the place of being Christ-centered and they still think that God is the, there to serve them is kind of like their, their eternal bellhop or their waiter, and he does whatever he wants to. When I hear that kind of attitude that God has failed me because I want him to get on my program and he's not meeting my needs, you know what I want to do? I want to puke. That's real honest, okay? You're going, to, <gasps> No! Because the thing is, is it means we haven't got to the place that God wants us to be, that we're not on God's agenda. Because people who are Christ-centered people, what they begin to do is they begin to see things in a different way. Because people who are simply grown, but they still think God is there to serve them on their agenda, what happens is they began to have this victim mentality. And they really think they have a bone to pick with God, like it's God who's the one that's messed up. And so they lack confidence in God. They lack confidence and they don't feel that God's really there for them. They don't believe anything in Romans chapter 8. I was listening to Bill Hybels, a pastor of Willow Creek recently, and I was listening to a sermon. He talked about this same passage of Scripture, and, and he was talking about this whole thing, and um, he kind of felt the same way I did when people come to him and say the same thing. That's actually where I got the throwing up thing from. Um, but it made me, I just re- realized I felt the same way he did. Um, but... Uh, he was talking about he was out front one day, and, you know, just a couple of years ago, and he was out front in church, and after the church was over, and he had an encounter with a guest, and he said there was no question. This guy came up to him, and he said, there is no question I'm going to lose my house. He was one of these people who had gotten involved in the subprime thing and, and had gotten all involved in that, and he was going to lose his house. And, and Bill Hybels thought, okay, here it comes. Blame God. Throw it all on God. But he says the guy looks at him, and he says, you know what? I'm looking at this as a learning opportunity. I did stretch my a stretch way too far for a mortgage. I've looked at this in the light of the teaching of the Word of God, and there was greed that drove my decision to get into that house. And I'm looking at the Scripture these days, and the Scriptures are telling me the Apostle Paul said, one time I have learned to be content with a lot or a little, and I've had a lot most of my life. And this next leg, I'm going to learn to live with far less. I can see that coming, but I'm going to prove that the faithfulness of God with less in the future, so I'm looking forward to all I'm going to learn as I go into this next season of life. And Bill Hybels looked at him and he said, you know, I thought to myself, Bill Hybels, he says, I'm not a big hugger. He said, but I wanted to hug that guy. Because he said, that guy gets what it means to be a Christ-centered person. They realize that sometimes we don't, if we're Christ-centered, we look at the opportunities of being overcomers, that every opportunity God is teaching us that with Christ in our life, with God's spirit in our life, no matter what you're going through, God can help you to overcome. That you don't have to play the victim that you can overcome the temptation to blame or to blame someone else for the circumstance. See, Christ-centered folks are overcomers. While the intermediates or the growing Christians call fouls on God and play the victim, the question is, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? You know, I brought up here this morning, you're going like, what is an auditorium? This is the auditorium chair, by the way. I don't know if you knew this or not. This is one of the ones you're sitting in, just like yours, okay? Most of the time I see you guys, you're sitting in these chairs in here, in this room, right? And so I see you a little bit, maybe an hour a week in a chair like this or whatever, maybe 
if you're real spiritual, uh, a couple hours a week, you come to men's frat or some kind of other things going on, you know, so I didn't really mean that. But the issue is, is so often I see you there. Now, here's the big idea. The Bible teaches us, and sometimes the thing is, is that I really don't see you the rest of the week in the other chairs you sit in, whatever chair you sit in, whether it be your lounger at home or whether it be your office chair or whether it's a school desk or whether it be a, a chair somewhere else. I don't see you in all those other places. I just see you here. But I want you to grasp something this morning about this whole thing, that the Bible teaches that there's something very powerful that God, uh, that the Bible says ought to happen when you're in an auditorium chair. When you're being challenged and confronted by God's word, when you're being encouraged by God's word, God is wanting to work in your life in a powerful way. Now, I realize that not all churches are working right, and we're not perfect here at Great Oaks, but if it's working mostly right, the Bible says that when you get yourself in a chair like this and you have an open heart, what God does through that time you're in church combined with the spiritual practices, your, your practices of reading God's word, of praying, of being in solitude combined with accountability relationships, whether it be through small groups or one-on-one, with all those things together, what happens in your life when you're in church? God works. God is working. And the combination of all these things in your life should really change who you are, not just when you're sitting in this chair, but what you're doing when you're sitting in the chair in your office or in your school or in your home. That God is saying that all these things, God wants to make you more than a conqueror in every area of your life. But so often what happens when, with people who stop their spiritual development at the point of just being an intermediate or growing Christian, something goes down at work and you, like you get a new boss. Or the industry that you work in changes requiring that you improve your skills. Or you get, you put, you get put on a different team that you don't particularly like. And now in so many conversations I hear from growing Christians, someone will stand in a, in a line or get my ear somewhere and they'll say, man, I can't tell you how horrible things are at work. I really feel disappointed in God like God's let them down. And they go on, they say, I've got this new boss and I can find no common ground with this guy. The guy's an idiot. I mean, I've heard people say that before too. Maybe your boss is an idiot. I don't know, but I can. But anyway, and, and, and let's say uh, the industry's changed. I got to update my skills. And I really haven't done that in 15 years and I really don't want to. Or this, they put this new, I got this new team and there's this guy on my team that I just cannot stand. All he does is tell dirty jokes and tell of his conquest stories and all these kind of things. And I just don't want to be around it anymore. And, and they play the victim. They blame God. They whine and they moan. And some people actually say to me, if their work situation gets bad enough, I've had people say to me, well, do you have any openings at church for jobs? And I look at them and I'm thinking, I don't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, why would I want to hire you? You know, why would I want to, your mindset, I don't want my mind, that mindset over here, be a whiner and a moaner. But God says that we need to be overcomers. Going back to that verse, Romans eight thirty seven. all these things were more than conquerors in him who loved us. A more than conqueror kind of person, an overcoming kind of person deals with the realities of life in a different way. 
The person who is Christ-centered deals with realities of life in a different way. They go, well, I got a new boss. Don't like the new boss as well as I like the old boss. But they get, then they, what they do is because of that, they fall on their knees and they begin to say, God, fill me with your love. Fill me with a new vision of how I can love and build a relationship with this new boss. Help me to love my new boss. Help me to never say a word in public against my new boss. He's someone made in your image. He matters to you and he ought to matter to me and I'm not going to fall in line with all the other people who are complaining about him. Right? Right? That's what God wants us to do. That's the, that's the mindset of a conqueror. We overcome because of Christ being in us, the spirit living in us. It's not just this kind of thing, oh, it's, it's about the realities of life. Or your skills need to be updated. An overcomer says, God made me to be a growing person. If to do better at work, I need to read a book or go to a night class or if I need to update my skills somehow, some way, in the power of Christ, I will overcome my complacency and I will add value to this organization in new ways. That's what an overcomer does. And if someone is on your team telling, you know, on your team you don't like telling dirty jokes or, or being a jerk or whatever, instead of running to your church and applying for a job... The overcomer says, God, there's a reason why that man or that woman is the way they are. It's indicative of a heart that's far from you. And maybe the reason you move that person to my team is because you saw in the department you want me to slowly over time love and build friendships and relationships, and maybe I'll be the one who leads that person to faith. That's what an overcomer does in their life. They're not complainers. They're not whiners. They have confidence in God. They are overcomers. You see, what I'm saying is this. You can play the victim at work, and you can call a foul on God, and you can whine and moan and be a growing Christian by description. Or you can take the Romans 8.37 approach, which says, I'm more than a conqueror because God is with me, and I'm going to look at things in a different way. I mean, I have people at, at, at home even. You know, at home it works the same way. So often people who are growing Christians, they see God as there just to meet their every need. For instance, you know, I've had people say, you know, I'm praying. We become self-absorbed at home sometimes. I mean, I've had guys that say, God, may my wife worship me more now than she does. That's their prayer. She doesn't worship me with all her heart. And I want you to move in her heart so that more and more of her time and affection will be placed at the altar of me. I mean, don't tell me you haven't prayed those prayers. Maybe not with those words. But so often in life when we think that God is just there to serve us, we have, we're, it's all about us. The problem is, is that's the way we, or, or we might pray this, you know, and God, may my kids do well. May they get a scholarship so that less of my hard-earned money has to go to support their college. And may they not screw up because that would reflect badly on me as a parent, and after all, I'm more concerned about my image as a parent than I am about the spiritual well-being of my children. Whew. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. The issue is, I've heard Christian parents say the looniest stuff. This crazy stuff. See, wait a minute, you're not a victim of what's going on in your family. You have the power of Christ in you if, if you really believe what God says, what he says in his word. You have the power to pray for. It doesn't mean it's going to change overnight, but you have the power to pray for and begin to let God work in that situation. 
You have the overcoming power to forgive family members you've brooded against in bitterness for years. I mean, some of you have, been, have bitterness against family members that, have, that you have turned over and over and over again like a rotisserie grill. And again, you claim to be a growing Christian, but you must move to a new place. You must. God didn't save you to stay in the condition you're in. For me to stay in the condition I'm in, he saved it so you would fully be his someday and you would overcome the petty stuff that tears families apart. Romans 8 says this. Wait a minute. You can overcome the tendencies that you have. And, And he says this, you know, you could say, well, God, even in this situation, I'm going to trust you, your overcoming power. I'm going to be nice to the person who just told me that my room is unavailable, you know, when you go out somewhere. You ever had some the wonderful things of life you get all ticked at? Canceled flights? Hotel rooms not being there? Weather? You ever get ticked at the weather? I was ticked two days ago. I had some plans. And it got cold and it messed up our plans. I could have stayed ticked for more than five minutes, but I didn't because the issue is it's not, that's not very attractive in people. You see, a lot of the stuff in life we just need to deal with and realize that, that God wants us to learn from everything. The person who is Christ-centered always asks the question, God, what you're trying to teach me in the midst of this? Let's get back just to, fo- I'm going to close up with this one thought. And I know we're running a couple minutes late today, but we had child dedication as well. So this is the end of the series. And we'll not talk about Romans 8 again for a while, okay? But i got to conclude with this one thought. Let's get back to this, uh, this auditorium chair. This is something I have to address. The sad news is in our world today, in the average church, how often people sit in this chair is becoming less and less and less. Even people that regularly attend. You know, when you're a regular attender of Great Oaks, you know how often you're here? And I'll find this out more specifically soon, but I know from some, some facts that basically you're, here, you're not here at least a third of the time during the year. Regular attenders. I knew back, we could actually track that. We're going to start tracking it even more back in Upstreet with our kids back there because every week you check in your kids. I, we don't check you in and worship, you know. We, we thought about doing it. No, we didn't think about doing it. But, you know, just to get, but, but the thing is, is that so often, so, you know, a third of the time. And the thing is, it becomes kind of, and, and why does that happen? It's become less and less. Willow Creek Community Church, huge church up in, in South Barrington has been tracking this for years. They have a very sophisticated way of tracking. They found in, in their kids town thing that over the years it began, the process over the last 10 years it's changed. It went from uh, a month that the average child was in, in their kids program two to two and a half times out of four Sundays a month, now down to 1.6 times a month. That's a tremendous growing church up there. And they began to realize that in our society, what's happened is we become less and less focused on this thing of gathering together. And we think it's not as important as it used to be. But Christ-centered followers, for some reason, let me tell you the difference is, Christ-centered folks, they read their Bibles more than any other group, they pray more than any other group, they give and volunteer more, they spread their faith more, they do it all because it's on God's agenda. They're on God's agenda. And what we've learned and what studies have shown and what I believe as well is that we've learned that folks obey the commands of Scripture together 
when the body gathered. You know what the Bible says about this in Luke 4, 16? It says, on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. Okay, this is Jesus. This is not just any old guy. As, why did Jesus go to the synagogue? This is a place of worship on a regular basis because he understood the value, the huge value in his life of gathering together, of being encouraged, of, of focusing our attention. But we become more laissez-faire in our, in our culture today. You know, but it says it to us as well. We're to follow the next same example. I mean, I believe it's arrogance of any Christ follower who thinks that they don't need the discipline, the, the discipline and the regularity that Jesus, the Son of God, had in his life. One of those disciplines was regularly being involved in regular worship with others because, the, see, the Christ follower believes that God's going to work. You have a different mindset when you come here. It's not about what's God, you know, what's about, let me learn some stuff so I can put it on my agenda. It's about God, what are you doing that, that I want to be a part of? Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some people do. It's very clear that in our culture, this whole thing of being involved, and I understand, folks, I don't believe that coming to church, I've said this before a thousand times, I don't believe that sitting in church makes you any more Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Think about that for a moment. But the discipline of doing that on a regular basis, of being challenged on a regular basis, of connecting and asking God what you're doing and expecting God to do, work on a regular basis is hugely important. It was important to Jesus Christ. It needs to be important to us. You know, another reason these Christ-centered folks wind up in church is because they really know that God's going to speak to them in a supernatural way. I cannot tell you how many times people have told me this. They said, I can tell you the chair I was sitting. Now, we, we move chairs around, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint the chairs. But they say, I, I, you know, I can remember the chair I was sitting in when God did this in my life or the God did this in my life or the place I was sitting in when God did this in my life. And be God, we anticipate God beginning to work. And I want to tell you something else that's important. Today being Mother's Day, we talked about how these parents up here and we talked about this whole thing of leaving a legacy for our kids. I want to tell you something that's important as well. The legacy for your kids, what you make important in your life will be important in their lives exponentially. I want to tell you about the legacy that my parents left me and my sisters. I have three younger sisters. I'm the oldest, three younger sisters. All of us, when we grew up, we had a place at a lake 45 minutes away. We had a little cabin down at the lake 45 minutes away from our house. Every Friday afternoon when it was warm weather, my, my, my dad and my mom, they would pack up after my dad got off from work at General Electric in the factory, come home, pack up, run down to the lake. We'd hang out Friday night. Saturday night, but we always were back home on Sunday morning for church. Always. You know what it said to me? That's important. Let me tell you what the legacy is of my family today. All three of my sisters, myself and three of my sisters and all their families are committed Christians. They regularly attend or are involved in a church where they are not just peripherally involved, they're in intimately involved in the church. My dad and my mom are still intimately involved. That made it a priority in life. But the thing we need to understand, parents who are sort of casual with their faith, who tend to, tend to raise children who are less casual with their faith, who tend to raise children who are less casual with their faith, and after a while the cycle just becomes more, you know, it sometimes turns around, but not very often. Casual parents usually wind up disserving the next generation. Now, say all that to say this. You know, you have a choice. 
the choice is, are you going to have confidence in God? Are you going to kind of like see God as your, you know, eternal genie? You rub his lamp. Hey, God, help my agenda. If you want to have confidence in God and live a confident life, an overcoming life, a conquering life, God says you need to get on his agenda and understand that he has a plan and a purpose for your life that's bigger than what you are, than what I am. You know, all these things that, that, that you put down on these sheets, these things about fear and guilt and all that stuff, those can all be overcome. Not in your power, not in my power, but in Christ's power in us. Because it says, go to the next slide. Because it says, remember this when we started off, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor debt nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in verse 37 it says this, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God wants us to live as conquerors, not as guilt-ridden, fearful people who are always concerned about everything. He wants us to see the world through his eyes. He wants us to understand that when we go through the tough times, the things that we go through the tough times, God can even work through those to bring about good. Romans 8, 28. It's your choice. Man, I want to tell you something. There's no better life than living. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a perfect life. There's problems, everything. But to live a life where constantly you're not in fear. And you don't live by guilt. God wants us to be conquerors. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.